Jessica Libor, and I am an artist, educator, and curator. If you're an artist who wants to create an amazing and fulfilling career in life, this podcast is for you. I'll be sharing inspiration that has worked for me and art world insights and tips. My goal for this podcast is to help you feel in control of your art career and empowered to be the best artist that you can be. excited to be doing this podcast again. I've taken a few weeks off and I've really missed it and I hope you guys are having a great summer, great end of your summer and beginning of the autumn. Um, I'm recording this in mid-September and I'm super super excited to get into this episode with you Um, but yeah just a little bit of a catch-up so I have been busy with my own exhibition that I had. Um, I launched a new collection. It was called The Mythical Sea. And I had a virtual exhibition and it went very, very well. I was super excited that you guys all showed up for me and I sold a bunch of the pieces. And I sold my piece, The Sea Queen, which I was super just really excited about. That piece was like a breakthrough piece for me. Um, I painted it directly and straight from my imagination with no references and I just felt it came out really really strong and really um, it just had a spirit to it that I really loved and somebody recognized it and bought it and I was so excited for that. Um, However, it is now lost in the mail. So that's causing me a lot of anxiety, but, um, you know, I'm trying to let it go. I did have, um, I did, um, you know, insure it, but so, so I'll, you know, the collector will get the money back and I will still get paid, but you know, there's nothing like, it's very unsettling to think of your, you know, beautiful art piece that you have put so much love into to just be floating in a warehouse somewhere, So um, I'm just praying that that, you know, that starts moving again and um, the collector does get it. But um, other than that, I've just been spending a lot of time uh, running, hiking out in nature, day trips to the beach with friends, um, and then of course curating this show, The New Pre-Raphaelites, which is so exciting. So um, you are all invited to it, first of all. It is free to attend, although there is an option to donate if you'd like. Um, And half of that will go to a scholarship fund for Harcum students, which is the, um, that is the place that I work for. Um, They're suspended classes for this semester, but I usually work for them as a college art professor. Um, So yeah, if you would like to attend, you can go to www.eracontemporary.com, that's E-R-A, contemporary.com, and you can register to attend the event, which will be on September 25th at 6 p.m., and it will be a live event where all 40 of the artists will be present and, you know, talking about their inspiration behind their work, so each artist is going to have a minute to talk about their work. And, you know, you as the audience will get to interact with them, ask some questions. We're going to have a virtual viewing room set up during the exhibition so you can see the work. And there is a 
pre-sale incentive discount as well. If you buy a piece before the end of the night on September 25th, you get 10% off most of the pieces. Um, if you use the code PRESALE, that's P-R-E-S-A-L-E, and that code works right now. You do not have to actually attend the event to use that. You can go to the website, you can purchase a piece right now, and that code will work. So um, you can purchase all the pieces on evercontemporary.com. Um, so yeah, I hope that you check it out. I hope you will attend the exhibition. I think it's going to be really amazing. And I'm super excited for it. And I'm just really honored to be working with this caliber of artists who are just, they just blow my mind. They're so talented and hardworking and professional. And I just have so much respect for them. And I'm so excited to be, you know, showing with these artists and working with these artists. And I just think it's such a strong show. And if you go to the website, you will see what I'm talking about. You'll just be blown away by the quality of this artwork. It's just amazing. We have 76 pieces, 40 artists, and it's just amazing. So go check it out. Go register to attend the event live. And yeah, it's going to be amazing. So I wanted to do this podcast because I actually... I figured that some people would not know the details of who the Pre-Raphaelites are. I have been obsessed with them for a long time, and I know several other artists who are also obsessed with them, but there's many people who just don't even know what that is. In fact, the general public and just people that I mention this to who are not in the art world, the first thing they always ask is, what does that even mean? Like, what is a Pre-Raphaelite? They think it's... um they don't even know where to start. So I wanted to, you know, do this episode and talk about the origins of the Pre-Raphaelites, who they were, their stories, their art, you know, their influence. Um, so all that is really important, especially if you are planning on att attending the exhibition. And if you're curious about history and art history in general. So my first experience with seeing the Pre-Raphaelites was in high school. Somebody gave me a book and it was it had Pre-Raphaelite paintings in it. And I remember leafing through them and being like, oh, these are so beautiful. And it was, you know, some of them were waterhouse paintings. And I remember the waterhouse paintings especially. And waterhouse was not officially part of the Pre-Raphaelites but he was very influenced by them. So it's a lot of these paintings of like these women who are like in the water or like in the woods and they have like, there's lots of flowers and, but there's like, there's like a darkness to the pieces as well. Like there's often this element of tragedy or um, something dramatic is about to happen. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a sense of myth, mythicalness. Um, there's also a sense of, you know, there's a sense of like strong emotion to most of the, the works and romanticism to most of the works. So um, I remember seeing them and being very affected by them. And actually one of my first oil paintings that I made, I was trying to copy one of them. So, you know, this has been in my psyche for a really long time, you know, since I was like 16 years old. Um, so I saw that in high school and then, you know, in undergraduate school, um, I had a friend who gave me a book, uh, another book, and 
you know, it had all these pre-Raphaelite images in it, and I was just like, oh, this is amazing. It had, like, all of the things that I love, like, personally, um, in an art piece. So it had, like, it had these beautiful dresses and drapery as part of it. Um, like, a lot of the models that they used, they had, there was just so much texture in the paintings, and then there was a lot of portrayal of nature in, like, a very beautiful and loving way um and you know the the portrayal of people within landscapes which I I just really loved because it it made me feel like I was there and then um it also had this like sincerity to it so there was a reverence about the way that these things were painted and that's actually the thing that defines the pre-Raphaelites more than anything because they painted all kinds of subject matters um, a lot of allegories a lot of myths and leg legends a lot of biblical things um, but the the thing that really defines them was their sincerity so there was nothing sarcastic or avant-garde about them they were just they were so sincere about the experience of being human and um, in their particular view like this very romantic experience of life um, and of love and um, of nature as well. So I was just really touched. I loved the spirit of the pre-Raphaelites, like how they kind of saw the world and the lens that they viewed it through um, was really unique and compelling to me. And I could tell, you know, you can tell a lot about the artists through the artwork that they make. And I just was very affected by it. And it still affects my work to this day. So I really fell in love with them in undergrad. But then in graduate school, um, when I went to PAFA, Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts, um, I saw their traveling exhibition of a lot of their main work at the National Gallery in Washington, D.C. And I still remember that vividly, seeing Ophelia, which is their most famous painting, arguably, um, in person and just being like in awe of that painting in particular but then there was a lot of other paintings and drawings there and by that point I had researched a lot of the lives and careers of the pre-Raphaelite members and so I was just in awe that I was like looking at the their actual artwork that their hands had touched and it was just a really special experience and the artwork is even more beautiful in person um, so I really loved that. That was definitely an impact on me. And then BBC also released um, a TV series called Desperate Romantics, which is all about the lives of the pre-Raphaelites. And they take a lot of liberties and there's, I mean, it's definitely not like a documentary style. Let me just put it that way. Um, they definitely make it like basically like a soap opera, like a British soap opera um, that was set in London in like the 1850s. But I really loved it and that got me even more into it. I was like, oh, this is so cool. And some of my favorite actors were in it and I just was even more into it. Um, there's something kind of there's something kind of like like this um this this tragedy to the pre-Raphaelites that's it's really compelling because a lot of them had tragic lives but but there was like this beauty that they they celebrated so much of life um it was like it was like their lives 
a lot of them were very brief, but this, there was this really almost painful um, awareness of the beauty of life that they really captured. And it's just, it's very compelling. I thought it was very interesting. So in graduate school, I did a lot more research on them and did some pieces that was actually, that were actually inspired by them. And um, so that even got me more interested in it. So who were the Pre-Raphaelites? The Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood was the original name for it. And they were a group of young British painters who banded together in 1848 in reaction against what they thought was the unimaginative and artificial stiff historical painting of the Royal Academy and who really sought to express a sincerity and freedom in their works and a reflection of nature. They were inspired by Italian art of the 14th and 15th centuries and their adoption of the name Pre-Raphaelites um, expressed their admiration for what they saw as a direct and uncomplicated depiction of nature typical of Italian painting before the High Renaissance and particularly before the time of Raphael. Although the Brotherhood's active life lasted not quite five years, its influence on painting in Britain and ultimately on the decorative arts and interior design was very, very lasting. The Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood was formed in 1848 by three Royal Academy students, Dante Gabriel Rossetti, who was a gifted poet as well as a painter, William Holman Hunt, and John Everett Millais. At the time they created the Brotherhood, all three were under 25 years of age. The painter James Collison, the painter and critic F.G. Stevens, the sculptor Thomas Woolner, and the art critic William Michael Rossetti, who was also Dante Gabriel's brother, joined them by invitation. Later, the painters William Dice and Ford Maddox Brown, who acted in part as mentors to the younger men who started this, came to adapt their own work to the pre-Raphaelite style and joined them. And largely, it was, it was largely by Rossetti's efforts that the Brotherhood's aims were expanded into public popularity by linking poetry, painting, and social idealism, and by interpreting the term pre-Raphaelite as synonymous with romanticized medieval past. So the Brotherhood immediately began to produce these amazing works. Their pictures of religious and medieval subjects strove to revive the deep feeling and the naive, unadorned directness of the 15th century Florentine painting. The style that Hunt and Millet evolved featured very sharp and brilliant lighting, a clear atmosphere, and near photographic reproduction of minute details. They also frequently introduced a private poetic symbolism into their representations of all their subjects and medieval literary themes. Vitality and freshness of, of vision are the most admirable qualities of these early pre-Raphaelite paintings. Their big break came when the leading, leading art critic of the day, John Ruskin, became a patron of their art and continually defended pre-Raphaelite art so that the members of the group were never without patrons.
By 1854, the members of the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood had gone their individual ways, but their style had a wide influence and gained many followers during the 1850s and 60s. In the late 1850s, Dante Gabriel Rossetti became associated with the younger painters Edward Byrne-Jones and William Morris and moved to an almost mystical romanticism. Malaise, who was the most technically gifted painter of the group, went on to become an academic success. Hunt alone pursued the same style throughout most of his career and remained true to pre-Raphaelite principles. Um, Pre-Raphaelitism in its later stage is epitomized by the paintings of Edward Byrne-Jones, characterized by a very jewel-toned palette, elegantly dressed figures, and highly imaginative subjects and settings. Even though the group started out as the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood, in fact, there were women in the Pre-Raphaelite circle who served as muses, models, inspiration, and artists in their own right, and whose existence made their mark on the movement. Unlike most models in previous artistic movements, Pre-Raphaelite models transformed their own lives through active engagement in art. They became lasting celebrities in their own right and figureheads of a movement that owes much of its appeal to the beauty of the subjects that were portrayed. The great female models were, at the start, in the 1850s, plucked from non-artistic backgrounds because of their beauty, which did not correspond to Victorian canons of beauty, and that's explained by Aurélie Petiot, author of the new book, The New Pre author of the book, The Pre-Raphaelites. For example, Elizabeth Sedal worked as a dressmaker's and at a millinery shop, and Fanny Cornfuth was a house servant, while Annie Miller was working at the Cross Keys pub when Pre-Raphaelite painter William Holman Hunt spotted her. And Elizabeth Sedal is perhaps the most notable Pre-Raphaelite muse. While not a traditional beauty, um, she had she had no difficulty holding difficult poses and had no problem playing very unflattering roles. So she wore male attire for a tableau portraying a scene from the Twelfth Night and a burlap sack when portraying a British girl in the time of the Druids. <clears throat> in spite of this, her particular beauty became more and more acknowledged over time. Their performances sometimes outshone both the source material they portrayed and at times even the artist. So we remember Millet's painting, Drowning Ophelia, for example, mainly for Elizabeth Sedal's compelling portrayal of the tragic heroine. She remained immersed in a tub to a point where she became severely ill in order for her, um, you know, the painter to get the, the image of her kind of like submerged in the water. Um, so legend has it that they they uh, lit all these candles around this bathtub and, you know, a cast iron bathtub and she basically was submerged in the water, you know, uh, breathing, of course, you know, her face was out, but um, she was just like, she was there for hours and, you know, they tried to keep her warm, but um, she became ill because of that. But it's it's a very compelling picture, and now she is, you know, world famous because of that. 
So the pre-Raphaelite models were oftentimes artists in their own right as well. So Elizabeth Sedal was an artist in her own right. She started painting and drawing under the tutelage of Rossetti in 1852. And then leading art critic John Ruskin became a patron of her art. And her subjects favored Arthurian legends and other medieval subjects. Other female artists who worked in the pre-Raphaelite style were Marie Stillman and Evelyn de Morgan and many more. The models also influenced fashion. Their wardrobes pictured in the artwork often involved flowing garments, rich tapestries, and were simpler in style to the than the you know, tightly corseted and over-adorned Victorian fashions of the time, and they showed a more bohemian style. However, unlike celebrities today, these women did not enjoy 360-degree fame as personalities, artists, and performers do. Um, they were more of a small-time celebrity, like a very particular um, audience, kind of like the pre-Raphaelites today, like, um, like people like me, love and adore everything about, you know, the pre-Raphaelites, but not everybody in the world knows who they are. Um, you know, same, same thing when they were alive, like there was a very particular following of people who really resonated with the pre-Raphaelites and who really loved and knew everything about them. So most models were not generally public celebrities in their lifetimes. And often their accomplishments were overshadowed by nasty gossip in high society, um, which brought about negative consequences in their personal lives um, because of their unconventional lives. So Elizabeth Sadal, for instance, embodied the notion of the tragic muse. After an all-consuming love affair with Dante Gabriel Rossetti, marked by social isolation and rejection from his family, due to her being from a working class background. And by depressive episodes, she actually died of a laudanum overdose. Similarly, Euphemia Effie Gray Millais is most known to the public for her humiliation in her marriage to John Ruskin, which was never consummated, and I mean for years, and her leaving him with his own blessing for John Everett Millais the celebrated artist who actually painted Ophelia. Um, I actually don't think that that's humiliating for her. I think it's kind of humiliating for him, <laughs> but, um, but they're both very interesting figures. And, um, and she had a very happy um, life, actually. Her and John Everett Malays, um, they were very happy together. So, but these, you know, these stories of tragedy and romance and um, all this intrigue, they have their own fascination. And the human drama of the artists and the muses that were part of the pre-Raphaelites, that is part of the allure of, you know, this period and these artists who were all so close to each other. And, you know, they spent so much time together. And, you know, it, it's it's really just a fascinating artistic movement because it's such an intense um it's it's intensely personal like they all painted each other um they all knew each other they all spent time together and it's it's very fascinating because of that so the popularity of the pre-raphaelite style of art evolved into art deco 
So the long flowing lines, the use of gold leaf, and the incorporation of nature were all part of a new style. And starting in the 1920s, modernism eclipsed pre-Raphaelitism, and its sincerity was seen as kind of kitsch and like corny and like, uh, that's a little passe now. So their recent rebirth in the 1960s was due to the fact that the pre-Raphaelite artists were seen as forerunners of the counterculture movement. Um, so they, they basically were like um, held up by like hippies and their use of flowers, the gypsy-like style, and their going against societal norms was an inspiration to the flower power era of the 1960s. And also public consciousness was reintroduced to the pre-Raphaelites again as wealthy and prominent collectors like Andrew Lloyd Webber and other influential figures in the music world drew attention to the movement's beauty. There are a few places where you can see the original works of the pre-Raphaelites. Um, the first is Red House in Southeast London, which was constructed by William Morris with the architectural style by Philip Webb. Morris commissioned many original artworks for the house by members of the pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood, and as close friends with many of them, spent five years hosting community events with the members of the pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood there. So the house is open for tours today in London, and I would imagine that the spirit of the original movement is very strong there because it's just, you know, there's paintings all over the walls by them, there's um, they spent so much time there. They were designed by a pre-Raphaelite artist. So it's, it's a very cool place to visit. I have not been there, but one of the artists in um, the showing has been there. And I think that it would be cool to do an interview with her about that. Um, so you can see it there. Again, it's called the Red House in London. You can also see the pre-Raphaelite work in the UK at the Tate Gallery and the Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery, Victoria and Albert Museum, and many more in the UK. In the US, there are a few places that have um, collections, but the most significant collection is actually at the Delaware Art Museum, which is not too far from Philadelphia, actually. So you can check that out at the Delaware Art Museum. So I hope this gives you a bit of background on the inspiration of the pre-Raphaelites that inspired the pre-Raphaelite show for Era Contemporary. So this show includes work that is inspired by the same values of the original pre-Raphaelite artists, which is a closeness to nature, an imaginative spirit, a celebration of the female form, use of gilding, and a sense of romanticism and storytelling. And you are invited, of course, to attend the opening reception on September 25th at 6 p.m. for this incredible exhibition of over 40 contemporary artists who are leaders in the contemporary realism movement today with over 70 artworks available. So these artworks will be available through Eric Contemporary for three months. And you can see the collection at www.eracontemporary.com. And I will put that link in the show notes as well. And um, so, yeah, and I just want to thank, um, I, I used a website, Britannica, for a lot of the information that I uh, was able to find for this podcast, as well as the, um, the article art and Ob on Art and Object by Angelica Frey.
So thank you um, to those sources for providing some of the information in this podcast. And um, yeah, I really encourage you to attend the exhibition. I think it's going to be really amazing. And um, I would love to hear from you too. What is your favorite piece in the exhibition? And um, I would challenge you too, if you've never heard of the Pre-Raphaelites, just do a Google search and you know see what pops up and, and, and you'll see what I'm talking about, about how, how really intense this movement is. And it's really beautiful, very intense, and it definitely pulls you in with its you know, it's mystery and it's intensity. So thank you guys so much for listening today. And hopefully I will see you at the opening exhibition virtually, of course, on September 25th. Um, and if not, it will be up for three more months. And, um, I'm thinking about making actually a booklet with all the pieces in it and an essay just for posterity so that, you know, like years from now, if you're listening to this podcast, you could like go and get that. (laughs) And that if, you know, if I make that, it will probably also be on ericcontemporary.com. So yeah, we shall see. And thank you so much for listening. Uh, Let me know what your favorite part of this podcast is and who is your favorite pre-Raphaelite? I would love to know. All right. Thanks guys. And I will talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed listening, it would mean so much to me if you would give it a five-star rating. In fact, if you screenshot your rating and send it to me on Instagram at Visionary Artist Salon or at Jessica Libor Studio, I will give you a shout out as a thank you. I also wanted to let you know that I've created a gift for you from my heart that I'm so excited to share with you. It is a free guide called 30 Days to 3K, the definitive guide to authentically increase your art sales. In this 15-page guide, I share how I've created amazing results in selling my art online while retaining the worth of my art and feeling authentic. I'm sharing the process that has worked to get the results for me. All you have to do to get it is go to my coaching website, www.thevisionaryartistsalon.com and enter your email and it will be delivered right to your inbox. I hope it brings you so much value and let me know how it works for you. For those of you who are ready to really transform your art career from the inside out to experience more abundance, creativity, and success, I encourage you to consider my completely personalized coaching program, the Artist Soul Mastery Program. In this one-on-one coaching program, my mission is to empower you to become the artist you've always dreamed of being by helping you remove internal blocks and step into the powerful and worthy artist that you are meant to be. For a limited time, I'm doing free 30-minute explore calls to find out if this would be the right fit for you. To apply for a call, visit the coaching website at www thevisionaryartistsalon.com or shoot me a DM at Visionary Artist Salon. I'm here to chat. Thanks again for listening and I will talk to you soon. Remember that you are already worthy and everything you make is an expression of your unique spirit. Now go forth and create.